At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Hawani brought it to my attention earlier, and I believe falsely. We were having a talk, doing Errol the bad guy, and he goes, Shale, by the way, what did Charles Oliveira ever do to you? Is this personal between you and him? What? He goes, yeah, everywhere we turn, you're saying Oliveira shouldn't get the championship shot. You, you, you keep dogging the guy. He's won eight fights in a row. What more do you want from him? I go, whoa, whoa. That's not the case at all. If you're asking me to make a prediction of who is going to have the championship shot next... No, I'm not going to insert Charles Oliveira. That's true. I believe it's going to be Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. I believe if you just want to have something to talk about, and it was a talk show, that you could also say Nate Diaz. Because Dustin is going to get a say in this matter, and he might be looking for some parody. I mean, at some point, Dustin's going to get a say. It's going to be a very different fight experience for him. It's not going to be Dana calls him up and says, here's what you're doing next. I've been with Dana 16 years. I can assure you I'm right. He's going to call Dustin and say, what do you want to do? But then Dana will talk too. He'll go, well, you know, here's what I was thinking. And they'll work something out, but it will be a different call. And because Dustin will be given the opportunity to say what he wants to do, I am predicting he might say, Diaz for the parody. It is not the same chip on Dustin's shoulder that it would be on Connor. If you go one and one with a guy, but you went last, you can go to the grave. You can live just fine with that's not that's not one to one to you. That's I beat him. You could go four to one if you got the last one. So I am open to hearing what Dustin has to say. And when we got to the press conference, Dustin had a few things to say. And they all sounded like he wanted to fight Nate Diaz. I will concede back to you. It didn't necessarily sound like it had to be next or that it wanted to be more than Connor. But make no mistake, he wanted to fight Nate Diaz. If you were to juxtapose that about when he was asked about Michael Chandler, he dismissed the fight. He said, yeah, look, Chandler did a great job tonight. I'm glad you're all impressed. But if you think I'm going to be impressed because a kid on his first day just beat a guy who I just beat, that's just not, that doesn't wow me. It was a, it was a fair answer, but it also dismissed that talk. Which if we were to go back a week ago, we all agreed as a community that they were in a Grand Prix, that they were in the semifinals, that the winner of the co-main was going to face the winner of the main. Now we've decided that we've got a new opinion, right? I'm guilty of it too. We've all done this as a community, but it appears that you're down to Connor and Nate and maybe even a step, but Nate would be in number two. And if you start looking at the three guys that are left, they're more compelling than Oliveira versus Poirier. Michael Chandler versus Oliveira is a fascinating match, not only because of what's on the line, but the X's and O's of that match is extremely interesting. Oliveira predicted before he fought Tony that he would out-wrestle Tony. And everybody thought that was just noise. That was just words coming out of his mouth. And then he out-wrestled Tony. Okay, well, all of a sudden, that's going to be pretty compelling when that's one of Chandler's biggest strengths. If I was to tell you that Oliveira was going to fight Gaethje, you're going to love that idea. And if I was to tell you that Chandler and Gaethje were going to fight, I mean, you're, you'd be in a really tough spot 
to tell me an order of one through three how you want to see those guys get matched up. Oliveira versus Gaethje, Gaethje versus Chandler, Chandler versus Oliveira. It'd be hard for you to actually come to a one, two, three, all of them. I'll just take them all, right? You know that default where you get asked three really good options? Any one of them. The waitress does that at the restaurant. Hey, you want fries or a baked potato? Ah, you choose, right? I mean, right? Sometimes you just have like these, these dead washes. So I was never trying to insult Oliveira. And for, for some reason, I feel compelled to say I've been very impressed with Oliveira. But to talk about championships talk, and to make a hedge or a guess as to who Poirier will be facing for the championship, you would be wiser to predict Khabib. You would be wiser to predict it will be Poirier versus Khabib than to say Poirier versus Oliveira. That's not going to happen. And I'm a little confused as to what part of this is the insult. Oliveira is a main eventer in his next fight unless he fights on the same card as the championship fight, whether that's Diaz Poirier or Poirier McGregor. The only chance he is anything less than a main event. So the one point I'm trying to make is Oliveira's in a great spot. He can handle me saying that he's not getting the title fight next. And by the way, he's not. Clickbait. You guys get clickbaited. So much of our sport has always been and continues to be ran on the internet. So clickbait is just not going to go away. But I had a great one yesterday. Like I got clickbaited so well yesterday. It was Chemayev crushes the pads in workout with Gustafson. Wow. Chemayev and Gustafson. I should go watch that. Maybe they spar a little bit. Maybe these guys grapple. Maybe Gustafson is transitioned to a coach. That's interesting to me. Let me check this out. I go check it out. So it's about 8 to 11 seconds of Chemayev hitting mitts with a coach. And if you look just close enough, like in the very bottom of the screen, at one point, Gustafson walks by. It had nothing to do with the workout. As a partner, a sparring partner, a coach, but apparently was in the room and in shot of camera. And I got to tell you, I do a lot of stuff on the internet. I have never clickbaited and I never would clickbait. And I have a partner, Ryan, who does what's called the thumbnails. The thumbnail is a internet term, which means what are you going to title the piece? It's called a thumbnail. The title of the piece. And we would never and have never. And I'm not even against it. I, what do I care if you clickbait? I feel like I could bring you in. Like, hey, here I am with Jay Leno. And then you get here and Jay Leno's not here. But I am confident that I could entertain you in a way that you still wouldn't be upset. Am I arrogant? Maybe. Maybe. But I'm sharing what I think. I think I could bring you in and I could entertain you in a way. And I still don't do it. Because it's a weird thing to do. I don't even look at it as dirty or scummy. I look at it as weird. Where's your talent? You don't have have a talent for the piece that you edited, that you uploaded, and you put on a site of an editor who trusts and pays you, you, you do not have enough confidence in that to call it what it is. And why is it here? Why would you have to lie and say Chemayev crushes pads in a workout with Gustafson? Why? If Gustafson's not part, why would you do that? Because you have crappy foot. What is it that you screwed up? What is it that was so uncompelling or underdone? Was it your angles? Was it your lighting? Was it the storytelling ability? Or are you just a weird guy? Because that's a really weird thing to do. Guys, walk me through the psychology here. I'm not arguing. I'm not using this as a jumping off point to get pissed off. Usually the kind of thing like this would set me off, but I'm not. I want to hear from you first to see what I missed, okay? The line has come out for Stipe versus Francis. Francis is the favorite, currently two to one. Now, in Stipe's last fight, the talk going into the fight, but not by the promoter, and not even by the media, by the fans, the kids on the underground, the hardcore, my 
space were all saying that the trilogy between Stipe and Daniel was for the greatest heavyweight of all time. That whoever won between Stipe and Daniel would move in front of Fedor Emelianenko for the greatest of all time. That was the talk. So when Stipe emerged, how does he then not even be the favorite for his next fight? How the night that he beat Daniel and they raise his hand and they put that belt around his waist and Daniel exits stage left. It was such a significant moment, largely because it did represent the last time Daniel Cormier would be competing, but also because it did give us clarity on who the real champion was, which was disputed between those boys. And the headlines, even when it came out on Monday morning, Stipe Miocic, greatest of all time. How do you go become the greatest of all time, not get beat, and not be the favorite in your next match, which I guess I, is, is this a good time to add for any of you newbies? Happens to be a rematch of a unanimous decision victory. Unanimous decision, meaning they went all 25 minutes. Yeah, not only did all three judges think he won, all three judges thought he won all five rounds. 15 scorecards turned in. 15-0. Miocic. Line in Vegas. 2-1. to one, Underdog. Stipe Miocic? You know, I don't know if you guys, did you catch this? Max Holloway was voted and named top performer for the month of January for MMA. And I think that must be a new thing. I've never heard of this before within our sport. I hope it sticks around. I kind of like to break it down into a monthly ranking, right? Because you're having, I mean, some some months are having four shows just with the UFC. Once Bellator, they're going to have two more. I mean, you're going to have about 80 fights to choose from. 80 fights to choose or you're going to have one top from. I kind of like the idea for a month, but Max got it for January. I do not disagree with that. There was other fighters that weighed in, including Michael Chandler, who was a top performer, who said it's Max. Max is the guy. Best performance. So it does take me back, though. What a difference a day makes, right? I mean, we had spoiled this whole week's Max fights. Then we get the Wednesday card. Kiesa Magni goes right into the pay-per-view. Now 55-pounders are stealing the headlines, but if we were to go back one week, it was Max with a top question of what does he do now? And one thing that has greatly disappointed me, though I could not say surprise, one thing that has greatly disappointed me is there's not a 45-pounder out there with the balls to call out Max Holloway. Not one. I've been over here campaigning and lobbying for Zabit. What the hell am I working for Zabit when Zabit's not speaking up for Zabit? If Zabit wants to get to a world title and he can beat everybody and he's got this really great record, and he, he looks like a really talented guy to me. Apparently, he's got a case of the chickens, and I'm not calling him a chicken, but he's got a case of something. You got the top guy out there that they're talking about put on ice and reserving, not even making him fight. They've done that with one athlete ever, Francis Ngannou. They're getting ready, at least in talks, to do it with the second athlete ever, which will be Max. Putting him on ice, having him surpass his own weight class's title fight, which is still out for a future date, and then he comes in on the back of that. It's happened one time. Francis, going through it right now. And it's about to happen. You're not going to call that guy out? Really? Because I have worked fairly hard, in all fairness, on Zabit's half. But why am I trying to get Zabit something if Zabit doesn't want it? You see the problem with that? It's like the guy who in the post-fight interview, who do you want to fight next? And he says, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Now, what he's trying to do in that adrenaline rushed moment where he's barely got his t-shirt on in a steel cage in front of the world is say, I'm such a tough guy, it can be anybody. But that's not what he said. He said, I don't care. If he doesn't care who he's going to fight, why Why would I? Why should I possibly care who you fight if you don't care? So why have I been sitting over here for well over a year trying to get Zabit a title fight? Who, by the way, I noticed Errol Hawani does it. I noticed Luke Thomas does it. I noticed Brendan Shaw does it. I noticed Joe Rogan is that. Why are we trying to get Zabit something that Zabit doesn't want? The hottest name in his division in the last week wasn't Volkanovsky. It wasn't the return of Triple C. 
entering the division. I don't want to be corrected on that. It wasn't Yair being out. It wasn't Zombie. It wasn't Ortega. It was Max Holloway. And nobody called him out, including you, Zabi. I was having a conversation earlier today. 155, right? We, as fight fans, we can't talk about 155, but this was the word said to me. You cannot convince me because it makes no level of sense to put Dustin Poirier and Nate Diaz in for the 155 pound tie. Now, let me stop you right there because that entire statement makes perfect sense except for the last four words. If I was to just tell you Dustin Poirier versus Nate Diaz, do you want to see that? Yes. Does that fight make sense? Yes. Is that a main event fight? Yes. Do you love it? Yes. Would you anticipate it? Yes. Is it a really big deal? Yeah. It's for the title that seems to have people upset. Diaz is going to have the same issue fighting for the title. His first time down to 155 and his last fight being a TKO loss. It's, he's going to have the same problem that Conor McGregor has. If Conor McGregor ends up with Poirier, and it's going to be one of those two, it's going to be for a title, which means Conor's walking into a fight after getting knocked out. And it's a title fight. And by the way, Listen to my whole piece. I don't want to hear in the comment section that Chael got off uh, off course here. L what I'm going to say right now, I am just talking. I am purely talking. I am not saying this should happen. For talking point, though, if you want to tell me that Connor versus Dustin is going to happen in July and it's going to be for the belt, I'm going to ask you why Connor versus Dustin wasn't just for the belt. And if you come back and tell me, well, it should have been, I'm going to go, well, obviously it should have been. If we're going to redo it and this time we're going to fix that, why don't we just give the belt to Dustin? At which point you're going to say, Chael, that's ridiculous. At which point I'm going to remind you that Jose Aldo had never fought in the UFC and was the UFC champion. Ronda Rousey had never set foot in the octagon and including for a signing, for a warm-up, for a workout session, or for a photo shoot, and was the UFC champion. Now imagine how history would look if illness or injury got in the way of either of them ever fighting. The history books would reflect them both as champions who had never set foot in the octagon. I mean, could you imagine? Do you see where it gets a little bit weird? We've done weird stuff. And I'm not suggesting that there's going to be no push. I don't want to hear that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm making conversation. But it's a little bit of a tough spin, okay? Before you guys, ah, what are you talking about? They can, they can put a bow on anything. Yeah, I agree. I agree that they can. I agree there has been incredible luck, incredible luck within this industry to market, package, and present something. I, I fully agree with you, but it doesn't mean that you don't worry about it ahead of time. Okay, those, those things don't just happen for Dana. Dana plans for those things. I mean, this is happening in front of your eyes right now, whether you know it or not. Logan Paul was scheduled to fight Floyd Mayweather in mid-February of this year, as in two weeks from now. That fight is off. And that fight is off for a lack of interest. They could not sell that. Nobody was buying it. Sports Center was not calling up a guy. We got to get Mayweather in here. Logan, Team Logan Paul is calling the sports shows, and they're gonna, you know, we're gonna pass. Very interested in him boxing somebody of his amateur level, but with Floyd, uh, good luck. They had to cancel the fight, right? The biggest celebrity draw that there's ever been in the sweet science against the biggest draw that there has ever been in the sweet science. You put them together, it just didn't work. It was nothing those guys did wrong. Those guys sat down, they did the math, it all looked like it was gonna make sense, and the sports show said, we're not interested. There's no way for us to package this. We don't wanna hear how you're training, Floyd. Don't even wanna hear that you are training. And Logan, whatever it is you're doing, it really doesn't make a damn bit of difference. You don't know how to box. Fight's off. They're not gonna do the fight. So when I tell you that there has to be a sellable approach to the fight, I'm not coming in out of left field. I, I'm fully aware of the powers, but they sit down and they plan for it. They sit down and they plan, how are we going to package this and tell it? I'm only offering for you that, yes, Dustin Poirier's next fight should be for a world title. If you're telling me that you can't put Diaz and Poirier together because of world titles, that's the only thing that bothers you? I take the world title away. I disarm an opportunity that Dustin has earned and should have had over the weekend.
weekend, okay? And you tell me that fight makes perfect sense. You'll mark it on your calendar. You'll throw a party. Have all your buddies over. Somebody bring the root beer. I'll, I'll supply the pizza. I tell you there's a title up and all of a sudden you're disgusted. I mean, do you see the problem with this? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Do you want to see Diaz fight Poirier? Start with that. If I come on the back and tell you the cherry on the Sunday, I don't expect you to return it to the waitress. You know, I just had an attempt of somebody to smash a pie right in my face. They were they were trying to treat me like the puppy that missed the paper by sending me through DM on social media, or maybe they just put it out for the world, but it was a clip of me one week ago saying that Conor McGregor is the best boxer in all of MMA, and they were irritated that I have not come out to correct that by saying it's clearly Dustin Poirier. Where'd you get that? Where do you possibly get that Dustin Poirier is the better boxer than Conor McGregor? Because you saw a mixed martial arts fight where the story of the fight was leg kicks? I'm starting to think, well, maybe you don't know what boxing is. Maybe I'm reluctant to give an apology. That's also got to be uh, one, one side of the coin that's considered. But, or maybe you don't know what boxing is. But when the story of the fight is leg kicks, the biggest surprise of the fight was a takedown. The highest energy of the fight was a scramble up off the bottom. Are you trying to tell me we figure out who the better boxer is? Now, Dustin Poirier went into that fight, top three in the discussion, right? You had Connor, and it's, it goes to Connor only because he fought Floyd. We don't know. We don't know if anybody can box. And if they can box, we don't know how well they can box. Stipe talked about going over and beating up Anthony Joshua, right? I mean, he talked about going, but we didn't see it. So we don't actually know where those boxing skills care. That's why I'm saying it goes to Connor. But then we, Max Holloway and Poirier. So Poirier is nowhere getting insulted. He's on everybody's top three list. I'm just, re I don't see what I said wrong. I, I haven't changed my mind. I have not changed my mind that Dustin Poirier is a better boxer. And even if you try to come to me and say, well, you know, it was it was a hook and a straight that put Connor down. I don't disagree with that. I saw that, but it was set up by leg kicks, which were set up by the threat of a takedown by which happened four minutes earlier. I think that I think that you would really be stretching. Now, Max, on the other hand, Max will throw a kick, but you're going to have to look for it. He was not against throwing an elbow, but you're going to have to look for it. He might throw a knee. You'll have probably two or three fights to find it. Max is going to use these, and he's going to use it to your chest, head, body, and neck. I mean, he that's pretty clear to see. He really does use the sweet science, for sure. But it's tough for me to use the only comparison of MMA to boxing that I have or that you have which was Connor going 30 minutes with the greatest of all time. Because I don't really need you to tell me, okay, well, well, Dustin outstruck Connor. I don't really need that. I, I need, okay, Connor went 30 minutes with Floyd. Do you suggest that Dustin could go 30 minutes with Floyd if we're talking boxing? And I'm not answering the question. I'm just asking you the question. To act as though who is the better boxer, which is one form. Are we going to say he's the better wrestler because he had the takedown? Did the scramble knock? I mean, there's only so much you can get. We're supposed to derive through that contest who who would do better in the Abu Dhabi trials? I mean, it's just, it's a vastly different sport. But the story of that fight was the leg kicks and more specifically, the calf kicks. And more specifically for me, the mere fact that Connor didn't know how to check those kicks and said in the post-fight press conference, he thought he was checking the kicks. I don't know how that happened. Like, was the leg so dead he thought he was checking? I don't even know what that comment means. But the story of that fight was not boxing, at least not for me, and I am not ready to concede. 85 got a little bit fun. I mean, 85 all in the last week, 185 pounds. You get Vittori versus Till, which is awesome. I mean, the X's and O's of that fight, I'm going to hold that thought. We're going to kick the can to break that down. But the X's and O's of that fight are very interesting, not to mention you have two hotheads. I know people that know Vittori personally and say he's quiet. They all say wonderful things about him. Everyone likes him. Everyone trusts him. Every coach that's ever worked with Vittori, I mean, if you heard some of the words, they will bring him in and put him with 
with any student. Vittori won't hurt any of them. He will get a great workout. He will listen. He will be polite. But he's a hothead towards his opponents, right? I mean, you guys remember the, the blow up in the hotel where Vittori loses his mind all because his opponent, I think he missed weight, but something happened and the fight got scheduled. Vittori, ah, how could you? I'm so pissed. I mean, and then Darren Till isn't exactly an Mr. Nice Guy to his opponents either. I think that we're going to have some real fun there. And I also think that it's a meaningful match. I think that's meaningful. Darren Till matters, and Vittori, because of what he just did on very short notice, all of a sudden he's on the tip of everybody's tongue, which is why he's getting this push. And what is going to happen with Adesanya is a huge question mark. My prediction is nothing. Win or lose against Blahovich, I believe Adesanya becomes much like Amanda, where he's going to cover the spread. And I have evidence to believe that, which is Adesanya said, I'm not going to gain any weight. I I am not going to bulk up. I am not going to pack on muscle. I'm just going to show up, give up the size, and take on Blahovich. But that that's his theory. He thinks it would slow him down. No reason to change physiology. No reason to work less or eat more. He can have the pounds, and I'm going to go fight him. But the relevance there is that means he's still in 85 pounds. And as tall and as big as Adesanya looks on TV, he has no problem making 185. He weighs 193 right now. Right this second. Not trying to lose any weight. Three squares a day and snacks. The workout routine that he does, he just weighs 193 pounds. He can make 185 in about an hour. So I do not believe, contrary to the belief of the division, the division believes that they very soon are going to be fighting for an interim championship, if not the, the undisputed championship, based on if Adesanya beats Blahovich. I, I, division believes that that belt is going to be vacated and up for grabs. I think that they're wrong. Now, that's a thought for another day. But either way, at a minimum, we're in contender season. Somebody has to step forward to fight Adesanya, and there's no talks of that right now. And frankly, there's no talks of it because it would fall on deaf ears. Adesanya's busy and he's busy with somebody else. So there's not a whole lot of, I'm going to beat this guy and go right into Adesanya. I mean, right, you see where the division's a little bit weird? So a fight between uh, Till and Vittori is very meaningful. If you turn the gun back on me and said, oh yeah, chill, what's it mean? I, well, I'm going to stand here looking like a fool. I don't know what it means, but nobody does, but it's meaningful. It's right towards the top of the division. Then we get the great news that Whitaker versus Paula Costa is going to happen, which is another fight. We'll give a breakdown as it gets closer, but that is a brawl to the highest level. Everything that we thought we were going to get with Paulo Costa versus Adesanya, we are going to get with Whitaker versus Paulo Costa. I mean, that's just going to be a brawl. There's just going to be no way about it. And the only reason uh, all hell didn't break loose between Paulo Costa and Izzy Adesanya is Paulo Costa froze up a little bit under the lights. That's a very real thing your first time there. It's not his first time there. It's damn sure not Whitaker's. Whitaker's been to the dance. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Whitaker always delivers. Paulo Costa is going to come after him hard. It's just a really interesting match, but it also has the same implications of which, okay, Chael, tell us what they are. I can't. I don't know. I don't know. Is Adesanya going to win light heavyweight and stay at light heavyweight? No. I'm very light on that idea. I'm very light on a guy that weighs 193 pounds not dropping back down and taking care of the division he cares about the most. I'm very light on that idea. Is there room in between for an interim championship? Yes, if not only does Adesanya win, but he gets another fight announced at light heavyweight, then you will have the interim championship, which in all fairness, whether Adesanya likes it or not, might be undisputed. They could take that belt off him. That is not the fighter's choice. It is Dana's belt, and he'd take that belt at it anytime he wants. I don't 
predict that he would because you would be punishing Adesanya for success, something Dana doesn't do. Dana rewards success. So there's a lot of guesses, but at a minimum, like any division, we are looking for a number one contender. There is some opportunity that that could be two, whether the belt had an I in front of it or a U in front, interim or undisputed, right? I understand those things. But these two matches, boy, very hard to look away from. And I think I set them in the right order. Till Martin, as good as that is, I, it, it's under. It's less meaningful than Ada, Paulo Acosta and Robert Whitaker. But you can see where those are both very interesting. And there's nothing bad that's going to happen from winning those matches. You know, I was staring at the schedule moving forward. And Bellator is getting ready to announce something. I can feel it. But they haven't yet. And I'm I'm sharing that because so many of you guys asked me for inside information as to Bellator's schedule. I don't have it. I've fished around a little bit. I've read between the lines. Something is coming, but I don't have it. Just truly, to get that out of the way. But but it's coming. Coming real soon. But I was looking at the UFC schedule. When I was looking at March, I was thrown off by one thing, which is we're going to do Stipe versus Engano. But in that same month, we're going to do Blades versus The Beast. Okay. And right around that time, we're going to do Volkov versus Overeem. Now, the reason I bring that to you and disclose those names is because for a fight as big as the World Heavyweight Championship, the most coveted crown in sport, who's going to be the backup fighter? And I can't imagine this is the one event that they're not going to have a backup. I predict they're going to have a backup. And a backup. Backup sometimes is identified and stated for you guys. Use Chandler with, for what he did with uh, Gaethje and Khabib. You're the backup fighter. Everybody knows. But Dana will have a plan even if he doesn't state it. And that plan is he will just put a featured heavyweight match on the same card as the heavyweight title is being contested. He's got them trained up. He knows that they're licensed. He's got the tickets bought and one guy gets pulled up. So that's who the backup is. But as I stare at this, man, I, I'm not seeing where this is at. And the reason I think that that's relevant is because if it's not Blades, it's not The Beast, it's not Volkov, and it's not Overeem, who? Who is the heavyweight backup? And that division is very tricky right now because of the insertion of John Jones and the standing working belief that John is going to take on the winner of Francis versus Stipe. It's very tough. It's very tough to become a number one contender when the number one contender is identified and sitting out and the championship itself is still lingering. So who? is likely to be the backup. Not who do you guys want to be or who's the, but who? Rosenstrike's in there somewhere. He's one and one in the UFC, but he's damn good and he's scary and he fits a lot of, checks a lot of boxes. I think that Surreal Gone has to be considered as well, particularly that he's completely undefeated. I believe now off the top of my head, but 11 and 0, never been beat. Who gives a damn what it is? He's undefeated and has a stoppage win over a former world champion. If I was to guess, I would put gone. If I was asked to do it, looked at who's left on the board, I believe I would put gone. But I, I am predicting that somebody gets put in that position. And so I'm asking you guys a little bit of a different question. My question is not what it usually would be, which is real simple. Who would you like to see face Francis or Stipe if something happens? My question is a little bit different, which is who do you think is going to be put into that position? And I'm wondering very much what I would love. I feel it would be wonderful PR. One thing that John Jones has not ever done a good job about is looking like he cares about the fans. He will say the words into a microphone every now and then, right before he's talking about John 316. Nobody buys either one of them. 
I would submit for you a very wonderful play by John, who's got to be ready. He's had nothing else to do. The fight's still months away. Stipe went into training yesterday. John could go into training tomorrow. I mean, in all fairness, I think a very good move for John, plus it would leave us with anticipation and excitement and want to then do something back for John. A very good move would be if John inserted himself, right? The backup fighter has always been a very cool spot. It went out of fashion when Conor McGregor came out and was offered that spot, said, I'm not a backup fighter. That was the only time ever that anybody ever looked over their shoulder and thought, oh, is this not a cool thing? It was always a coveted spot. And it would just seem to me that John filling in would show a humbleness, would show you something to look forward to, would force himself. I mean, a byproduct of that would be a forced discipline, thus the training camp. Not to mention the bravery he would be showing. Think about doing that from John. I mean, right when Chandler did this to use him as the most recent example, Chandler was willing to step in against polar opposites on zero notice. If somebody misses weight, Chandler steps in. So he's going to have 24 hours notice to take on a grappling heavy Khabib or a striking heavy Gaethje. And Chandler didn't give a damn. I'll do it. I feel as though John would get that same credit because that is a lot. You're asking John, are you willing to take on Stipe Miocic, the baddest man in the world who weighs 230 pounds and can do a little bit of everything? Yes. Okay, great. Are you willing, with no other strategy sessions and or training, to step in and take on Francis Ngannou, who has to cut to the limit and he's all iron your first time up? Are you just willing to do it? I'm not saying you're going to have to. not even going to say you can't. Are you willing to? And if John came out and said, yes, I will take on either guy on no notice. In all fairness, right? I don't predict that John gets the best advice or that he would take it or that he cares about you guys, but he does like to pretend, oh, the fans mean so much to me. It'd be a great way to show the fans you were sincere. Support for your welcome is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Guys, I got big news. Manscaped just released their refined cologne, to help you feel good and smell good all over all the time. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men around the world. Join the movement for all your below and above the waist grooming needs. And guys, I'm not gonna lie. I know I look like I smell good all the time, but sometimes after training, I offend even myself. Manscaped's new refined cologne is the perfect fix for the times I am on the go and don't have time for a quick shower. Plus, my wife loves the scent. And you want to know how it smells? I'm going to do my best Jay Peterman impression. This manly scent is calming and inviting. It brings with it a light citrus burst before settling into the anchoring notes. And guys, it's a little woodsy, masculine finish. The beautifully designed 50 milliliter glass bottle makes a statement. And the manly scent is attractive to set the mood. Plus... 20% off and free shipping. All you got to do is use the code SUNNEN at manscaped.com. Also, be sure to check out the Perfect Package 3.0 with all the essentials for below-the-waist grooming needs, including the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer and crop formulations. I don't have to tell you guys what these handy tools are used for. Again, get 20% off and free shipping. All you got to do is use the code SUNNEN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code SUNNEN. Look good, smell good, feel good with Manscaped. Oh, and tell your girl I said you're welcome. 
Worried about online security? The best way to protect yourself online is by using the privacy app IPVanish. IPVanish is a virtual private network, VPN for short, used on computers, tablets, and phones that secures your connection to the internet and protects your personal information. IPVanish helps protect you whenever you use public Wi-Fi, which is not always secure. When you use IPVanish, your personal data, like your emails, files, even your credit card and bank banking information. It's all encrypted, helping keep you safe from online thieves. How many times have you Googled something only to have the ad follow you across websites and on your social media channels? Well, that IP address is being tracked. Advertisers and hackers use it to keep tabs on you. With IP Vanish, your real IP address is hidden, helping keep your identity safe. And IP Vanish has a zero log policy, so they're not recording your internet activity. What you do online stays private online. When it comes to internet connections at home and on the go, I know I depend on IPVanish. IPVanish is rated 4.7 out of 5 by real customers on Trustpilot. If you care about your internet privacy and you want to get reliable online data protection, then head over to IPVanish.com slash jail. Plans start at $3.49 a month, which is a great price to secure all of your devices. All you got to do is go to ipvanish.com slash chael to start protecting yourself today. My buddy Ryan asked me, Chael, what is the best wrestling story you know? Just the best wrestling story. And I will tell you, it's interesting in this regard, the best wrestling stories I have probably even top five, were not from wrestling matches. They had to do with practice rooms. They had to do with a guy becoming a legend, but doing something or building towards eventually the match. Here's a great example. What's the biggest wrestling match of all time? Well, it depends how you're going to look at it. By the numbers, officially, ESPN will support this. It's Gwiz versus Schneider in that more people watch that match than have ever watched a wrestling match. Many wrestling aficionados will say, no, the biggest match in terms of what was on the line was Bannock versus Schultz. Both multiple-time NCAA champions, both went on to be Olympic champions, but that night it could be only one. So you start to have uh, these debates. I would see the Bannock Schultz. I would raise you a Bella Glazov versus Smith. But you see where the debates start to come. Now, as far as just a story, I will go back to Schultz and Bannock. And I'm tied to this loosely in this regard. I'm from Oregon. I'm in Oregon talking to you guys right now, and the story took place in Oregon. Mark Schultz lived in, with his brother Dave and their mother, Ashland, Oregon. And Iowa used to travel around doing camps. And one of the places they came to do camps was Southern Oregon University. Southern Oregon University is in Ashland, right where Schultz happens to live. And Bannock, who is a two-time NCAA champion, came out with Iowa to do this camp. Now, so you understand Bannock was the two-time NCAA champion at 190 pounds. Schultz was the defending NCAA champion at 177 pounds. So they're separated by one class. I realize those numbers aren't the numbers you go off of today. Today, you caught 184, 197. So Schultz has a buddy that comes over to his house and says, Iowa's in town. Schultz just looks at him. And the buddy says, Bannock's here. So Schultz doesn't say anything. And the guys that knew Mark Schultz real well said that 
When Mark got real quiet, that's when they knew Mark was pissed. Like he would stop talking and he would start making noises. Like he would breathe, but they were almost grunts. So Mark doesn't say anything and he just goes in the other room. And when he comes back out, he's wearing his singlet. And that was a very weird thing to do at the time, but that was how Mark Schultz went to wrestling practice. He showed up in a singlet. He showed up with a singlet and headgear on like it was competition. He was known for this. So when he comes walking out of the bedroom in his singlet, friend doesn't say anything. They get in the car they drive straight down to Southern Oregon University. So when they walked in the room, coincidentally, they had just started live wrestling, purely coincidence. But Bannock, who was one of the, the coaches there, the student coaches, their whole room full of studs, but Iowa's top team in the country whole room full of killers. But they had just blown the whistle and the kids are all wrestling live. So Schultz walks in in his singlet and Bannock sees him come in. Nothing was said. Bannock knew why he was there. Schultz walks right up to Bannock and they were doing situations at the time, right? Hey, get in this position, get in this position, get in the, and then wrestle live instead of takedowns, by example. So the situation that they were doing was you have a single leg. So Schultz walks right up to Bannock and he slams his foot down. So Bannock grabs a leg, somebody blows a whistle, they go. Bannock took him down. So the next, they get right back up and Schultz gives him the leg again. So Bannock takes the leg, they blow the whistle, and they went forever. People people that were there that tell me the story, this story has never changed in 30 years. It was, it was like four minutes. Four minutes on one position where Bannock couldn't get him down, but Schultz couldn't get the lock broken. So like four, now the whole room has stopped. Everybody's watching this go. The whistle had blown, these two didn't stop. They're not gonna stop until one of them wins. And Schultz gets his leg back and he looks at Bannock and he doesn't say a word and he goes, huh, and huh, gotcha. And turns around and leaves. Doesn't finish the workout, doesn't say hello to any of the kids, doesn't do anything. Walked in, went two goes and leaves. And in the car ride home with his friend, decided I'm gonna go up to 190 next year. I'm gonna stop Bannock from being a three-time NCAA champion. No reason to do it other than to stop somebody else from being able to do something. Schultz did not have a goal other than to ruin somebody else's. And he did. Big thing going around right now about Connor's training, Connor's preparation. And you're hearing every Monday morning quarterback, everything across the board, all the way to Connor should get rid of his whole team. They had him unprepared. I mean, we got to start real slow here, guys, which is how important is a training camp? And let me tell you as a guy who's been through them, and let me let me speak, let me condescend to you, but I, I don't say it to be a jerk. Let me condescend to you because you haven't. They're not very important at all. Oh my God, how can he say that? Countdown 24-7 on Showtime told me how important they were. I mean, in all fairness, they're not. The, the greats are prepared all the time. The greats who go on to do great things and extend their career are ready any day of the week. They just do something called peaking. They will be even more ready. They will be more fresh, more prepared, and more locked in on game day when they know when game day is. Very unique to our sport. You're seeing what a great job Tom Brady, by example, from a different sport is doing. 40 plus years old, traded teams, and has returned to the Super Bowl. Tom Brady does not have the advantage of peaking. He's got to play on any given Sunday against whoever steps out there. Once that team steps out there, during live action, somebody could be hurt, pulled, and a new guy comes in off of the bench that he never planned for. That's normal. That's called life. That's called adapting. That's what your parents do every single day when they go to work. They don't know what the task is going to be that day or who it's going to be against or what the time frame or what the rules are. You have these fake tough guys known as MMA fighters. The fakest tough guys I've ever encountered in my life 
are cage fighters. They will find an excuse anywhere with an inability to adapt, with an easy built-in out, which is, well, I wasn't expecting that, and they will find their way out, and you, the audience, allows them to do it. You can't do that. You wouldn't allow that of your friends, of your children, of your social life, of the people that you managed or the people that managed you. Nobody would give you that extension, but you allow the fighter to do it because he didn't have a training camp. Or if things go bad, he didn't have the right training camp. First off, why was he in camp? Let's start with that. I used that phrase myself because it was forced on me and it became a colloquialism within the vernacular of the industry I was attached to and for no other reason. And early on, Camp was code talk. Camp only came from a guy that had wife and kids. The kids drove him crazy and he didn't like his wife very much. True story. It's no joke about this. The very first guy to ever have to go off to camp was married with kids. And he wasn't that good of a husband. He wasn't that good of a father. And this was a way to get out of the house. That's a true story. The next 2,500 guys to come through fit that same bill. You never heard it from a single guy. A guy that was at home and could kind of stay up on his own hours, kind of sleep in his own hours, never one time went to camp or even used the word. It is absolute code talk for, I don't, I, the old lady drives me crazy. And frankly, you know, the kids want to play hide and seek and I'm just a bit of a selfish prick. That's what it's for. Any real athlete who's ever done anything trains every single day. Every day it would never miss. And you would have varying degrees of intensity, but you would never not be at practice. You could have a varying degree of, of intensity that's so light that you didn't even dress down. You went in with your, and you watched, but you were in the practice room every day. So I bring that to you because if you believe that Connor didn't have a good camp, you're already off on the wrong foot. You've already lost the respect of anybody that understands this sport. There is nothing that Poirier did to Connor that Poirier learned in camp. There was also nothing that Connor did to Poirier that Connor hasn't known, done, and executed a line competition 10 years ago. At a minimum, I'm saying that as a to make sure I'm right. It could have been 15 years ago. That's the things that you use when the house is on fire. That's the thing that you use when you're in trouble. That's the things you use when you're stressed, when you're under attack when you're trying to win, not things that you picked up in training camp. Training camp is largely about a level of conditioning. That's true. But that comes back to what I was saying with the peaking. I did not see Clayton hires one second more in camp than I did out of camp. Clayton called practice every single day, period. After a fight, you got one week off. If you needed more than one week, you had to call and discuss with Clayton why it is you need a second week. I never saw anybody take it. Clayton said, you get a week off. Some guy said, I feel great, coach. I'm coming in. Clayton said, you're not allowed to come in. You had a fight. You were going to take a week off. I only share with you, we talking about camp, whether it's a good camp or not. So such thing as a camp. This is a made up term, made up in boxing. I don't know that there's a boxer out there that you want to copy with methodology and life, right? I mean, it didn't turn out great for a lot of them. And the reason they fell into that sport is things weren't great to start with, in all fairness. Now, I'm in a glass house throwing stones. But somewhere along the way, we decided to adapt and adopt a vernacular from guys we didn't respect in the first place. If we did respect it, we would have got to become boxers, not MMA guys. There was nothing wrong with Connor's camp. Connor is telling the truth when he tells you he had inactivity. People that say that's excuse making by Connor supporters, and it's also people trying to take away from Dustin's victory. It's not. That is a reality of what happened. That is the worst Conor McGregor I have ever seen. With that said, I don't know a whole lot of guys that could beat him. Even that Conor, a reduced Conor, the worst Conor, is one of the best guys in the world. And that is where the compliment still exists for Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier still beat that guy. So I, I, I don't believe in this school of thought that if you make an excuse for Conor, you're taken away from Dustin. I don't see it that way. 
Dustin proved he's the baddest guy in the world at the hardest weight class to ever exist. Connor showed that he's had better days in the past, but he was a little bit sluggish, a little bit slow, and found himself in a situation that was harder than he anticipated it being, which is why he's saying, let's do it again. If you can get over on me twice, I zip the trap and I, I drift away into somebody else. But if you can't, here's why. So Connor has made his claim. He hasn't said it had to be for a championship or a jackpot full of money. He says he would like it to be soon so we can keep the momentum going get this as an experience and roll into another one. That's a fair ask. It's not one that Dustin needs to meet him at. It's one that Dustin's likely to meet him at. The request of Connor and the statement by Connor that I was inactive is accurate. The fact that Dustin beat him and showed he was better is also accurate. Justin Gaethje came out. He was weighing in on his own division. 155 has found a voice. I mean, thank goodness, right? A division that didn't used to exist because it was so uninteresting and then stuck around for so many years while being completely uninteresting now has a voice. And it's very refreshing. I'm very happy that it does. I couldn't say it about 25. I can't say it about 45. I can't say it about 85 at all with the absence of Otis. I mean, I think I could go through it. It's a real compliment to 55, but it's also impossible to not just roll your eyes and be annoyed at some of the voices. I mean, you got Justin Gaethje coming out as early as today saying that if Conor McGregor gets a title fight next, he would consider never fighting for the UFC again, right? I mean, it's one of those, right? The art of war, the art of war is very simple. You convince your enemy that you have a weapon that they can't deal with. And then the second part, you must convince your enemy that you're willing Willing to use it. It's a two-prong approach, but if you ever get there, you win. No battle is going to happen. If Justin Gaethje was to get up and, and exit stage left now, in exchange for Conor McGregor, Justin Gaethje's going to get up and go. There is no bluff there. There is no threat there. And for Justin Gaethje, who I have argued publicly for three years, I have used the same line referring Justin Gaethje on any platform that will listen to me, which is a good choice for number one contender at any time is Justin Gaethje. So any question you have at 155, the right answer is Justin Gaethje. And that's true, including right now. If you want to say Justin Gaethje is going to go fight for a world championship, good call, good decision. But for Gaethje to base the fact that Connor, who can outdraw and outsell him any given day, should not get a title fight because he just got smoked in his last fight. Do you see the problem there? Justin Gaethje thinks he should get a title fight against a guy who already beat him, coming off getting smoked. But Connor should not be able to fight the same person in question because Connor just got smoked. I mean, do you see where this gets a little weird? Not to mention, this is what dreams are made of. The wrong guy stepping in at the right time is exactly what dreams are made of. Michael Bisping is a world champion and a current Hall of Famer right now, right now, because he was willing to step in at a time that nobody else would. And I understand that the nobody else would and the time part is a little bit irrelevant. What I'm sharing to you is so is the argument that Gaethje's making. First off, the threat that he would leave, okay. And secondly, what Connor should get. And it's absolutely none of your business. Dustin Poirier, by beating both of you, by the way, is the only one here that clearly is going to fight for a title. Clearly, because he beat all the rest of you. The question now becomes who should face him? Should it be the guy who's beaten him once and now they're one and one? Oh, and by the way, the guy's a big draw. He's a big star. And you have to understand Poirier should not get punished. And in many ways, that's what would happen. If you wanted to go pure straight line ranking or you wanted to just look at parity or you just wanted to look at what the lines in Vegas would be the closest. Okay, but now you could be punishing a guy who did nothing wrong who's Poirier, which is where his opinion has to matter. 
I saw many people try to do this same thing when John Jones came off a of suspension, still Pico Grands in his system, and got to fight for a world title. But the problem with trying to stop John and John's bad action is you would be punishing Gustafson, who did nothing wrong, who earned something good to happen and used that good favor to ask for John. That's who Gus wanted to fight, and Gus did nothing wrong. So when Gaethje says this, and you have to understand, when I brought the comparison to Bisping stepping in on short notice and becoming a world champion, that's what dreams are made of. But that's exactly what happened the night that Gaethje won a world championship. He was not the rightful guy. Khabib Nurmagomedov was. But Khabib wasn't available, and Justin had the balls to step in and do it. And we all stood by and said, man, that was awesome. Did not see that coming. How'd you do this? And how did you do this on set short notice? I mean, it adds to the story to the legend of Justin Gaethje. The fact that not only did he do it, somebody he was given an opportunity. I mean, a lot of things had to happen, right? If Justin in Make Believe Land went out and did this on his own, that's exactly where he lives, is in Make Believe Land. He had a lot of things happen and a lot of people who helped and ultimately chose to offer an opportunity to him. If he sees that any different than that, he's living in an alternative reality. It's not what happened. And the same as threatening his own removal from a sport. First off, I mean, right, do you see the silliness? You don't want to sound like a jerk by saying the obvious response, but who cares? You don't want to say that. But at the same time, that's not a real threat. And at the same time, that's not going to stop anybody from moving things forward. Moreover, taking away from Dustin Poirier, who's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong, including saying, hey, Chandler, you and Oliveira get together. You both look like great fighters. All I do is fight great fighters. All I'm going to do is have to fight really hard fights. But I'm not going to have to fight both of you because I'm going to make one of you a Eliminate the other. Fair play. Smart move. But you also see the difference in attitude. Gaethje, who has not been heard of since the night he lost to Khabib. Looked like he was taking a break. But the one chance he came out to be heard, he spoke about someone else. Instead of saying who he would like to fight. We've heard that they're trying to get Gaethje and Oliveira together. One of those guys is a chicken. We just don't know who it is. We're going to find out. They've, they've managed to play this very close to the vest. Sooner or later, if that fight doesn't get signed, we're going to hear who the skunk at the garden party is. We're going to hear who was scared of who. Michael Chandler is now available and in a higher spot, I would argue, than Oliveira or Gaethje. You can, you can tell me that's not fair. I don't say it is fair. But I do understand the guy that rides in from out of town wearing the white shirt knows the most. I see it all the time just in my own practice room. Have the greatest coaches in the world. Some guy comes from out of town. We all stop what we're doing to listen to it like, like he's got some kind of a secret that our own coach that we see every day doesn't, but it's a reality. The new face, the new parody, the splash into the scene. It's one of those things. So a smart move would be go after Chandler. Knock him out, boom. Now there's no argument, you slide right into a title shot. But when you're having a loser's convention arguing about who the best of the losers was, it's it's very bizarre. So what, we're going to bring Connor in? who just lost by finish. We're going to bring Diaz in, who lost by finish. We're going to bring Gaethje in, who lost his last fight by finish, and argue of those losses, which booby prize was the least decisive. I mean, is that what we're doing? I don't even understand the rules to the game. All I know is that Gaethje is going to have to consider fighting somewhere else. He said that. I'm going to I'm going to consider. If Connor fights for a title, well, what if it's not for a title? What if we continue to just hold that title up? It lives in purgatory. Nobody has it, but at least it's not up for grabs. Then can Connor fight Poirier? That answer has to be yes, because it happened four days ago, and nobody made the big threat of, uh, of reprisal, right? So you're okay with the fight. You're not okay with the reward. Do you see where that gets a little bit weird? Gilbert Burns was talking about his upcoming title fight with Kamara Usman's, and Burns said, I'm going to finish him. I'll be the first one to ever finish him. 
said, I got the tools. I'm very dangerous. I don't know how, but around the third or fourth round, I'm going to get Usman out of there. Now, you have to cite the source, right? This isn't just trash talk amongst fighters. We don't come out and break down every quote anybody ever said. It's very interesting, though, because Burns is such a gentleman. And Burns was not anywhere in there insulting Usman, but he was praising himself. And I, I find it interesting because these guys know. They know in their heart. It's very similar to when we discuss TJ Dillashaw versus Uriah Faber. They both know who's going to win. Now, they're both willing to walk out there. They're both willing to hope. They're both willing to try. They both know I'm going to hit the other one. He might hit me more. And that's worth it to them to get their licks in. But it is very similar. Many of you may have forgotten, but please don't, that Usman and Burns were teammates for like six years. They sparred together every session. They grappled together. They drilled together. They did strength and conditioning together. I mean, teammates every single day. And as soon as Usman left and went out uh, with Trevor, went out to Colorado, as soon as that happened, Henry Hoof, I always want to call that team the Black Zillions, but it's not. It's the guys who used to be Black Z I don't know the name of their team. Henry Hoof's team instantly said, no, we want that title back. We want that title at our gym. We're, we we got the gym with the best 170-pounder. And even though it's not going to be Kamara, we're going to get that title back. We're going to use this guy to do it. Talking about Burns. So now it's teammate versus teammate. And these guys have never turned on each other. Usman has never said one word bad about Burns. Burns hasn't said it about Usman. But Burns has now come out and complimented his own skills when he knows who he's taking on. He knows how those practice sessions went. He knows what he has had success with. And you could only begin to guess what that was. Was that with the submissions? Was that with boxing specifically? Specifically. Was it a conditioning issue? And if I can get him late, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. When I look at Kamara Usman, I see the only welterweight of all time where if you were going to say he is the greatest welterweight of all time, if you say anybody but George St. Pierre, you, you look stupid until now. You can now say it's Usman. And ultimately, you'll lose. Ultimately, you'll lose and St. Pierre will still beat him. It was just a longevity thing. But that's windows getting closer and closer. I mean, that's how good Usman is. That is my point. That is how good Usman is that he is the only guy ever that you could say is the greatest, even excluding St. Pierre, and not look like a fool. And Burns thinks he can beat him. And that's not just some kind of level tough guy talk or even a guy that's chasing a dream and by God, whatever happens, happens. But I'm going to do my best within this moment. This is his teammate who's felt him for endless hours. Say on average, those guys worked out an hour a day with each other. You got other guys in the room, but maybe they touch each other for 60 minutes a day. You do that times five for how many times there was in the week that they engaged times six for how many years they were together. I mean, do you understand how much they have? I, I, I had teammates like this. I just saw Randy Couture was the best fighter in the world. He was the lightweight champion. He was the heavyweight champion, light heavyweight champion, heavyweight champion. He go back and forth. He's beating everybody. And we had guys in the room, names of which you wouldn't know. They never broke in. They never got their opportunity. They never went there. But they could go very close with Randy. Where if you watched me, what is this the second best guy in the world? I mean, there's the best guy in the world. This guy must be the second best. Well, it was an issue that they worked out with him so much, so often, that it just closed that gap. And I bring those names for you because that would impress you, but I've seen that in practice room and wrestling stories where you would have an All-American against a guy who never even broke into the lineup. But that would be a practice room match separated by three points, separated by one takedown.
down. They just got to know each other so well. So any compliment that I'm giving Burns or anything that you could you could interpret as a compliment towards what his performance is going to be, the same thing goes for Usman. Usman is not without all of those same advantages and or disadvantages. The only difference here is that Usman has a belt up for grabs. Usman has something to lose. Burns has something to win. But that doesn't change the outcome of the match. That doesn't change a round of the match. That doesn't change one sequence within the match. But it is very compelling to me, and Burns has never come out and, and connected all these dots, right? There's a few cracks in the story. He's never filled them in. But it would seem as though if you read between the lines, Burns feels he's the better fighter and would have good reason to feel. If he was getting over on Usman in the practice room, he would have good reason to believe that. And their coaches seem to believe, they seem to see something. I bring that story to you because I think that would hit you as a surprise. I think if I was to tell you, Gilbert Burns is going to beat Kamara Usman. I think you, I think that was, you could say, what, say that again? What'd you just say? But it seems as though for guys that in the know seem to believe that Gilbert Burns is very, very competitive here. That's not the better. The better see it differently. The line in Vegas, it's very clear and it has never hedged from day one of this fight being flirted with, let alone announced. Kamara Usman is the favorite. I see Usman as the favorite. But I'm very interested in hearing from people who are eyewitnesses to some of these exchanges. All right, guys, I've had it with you all. Enjoy your weekends. Be back on Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. From the team that brought you the big podcast with Shaq, it's the Big Shot Bob Pod with the biggest shooter in NBA history, Robert Ory. To Ory for three. Oh, unbelievable. This guy is off the charts. The Big Shot Bob Pod. Yeah, of course we're talking about hoops. Charles Oakley. We played him in the finals when we was the Rockets, and I dunked on Oak, and I kind of flexed on like, ah! Oh. And, uh, and Oak didn't do anything. I went down the court like this. <laughs> I just, just missed a punch to the jaw in, boy. <laughs> Subscribe now and get new episodes of the Big Shot Bob Pod every week on the Podcast One app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, LiveByLive.com, and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.